Hi, this is Eva Montealegre, and I'm here with Stephen Stein. My book is titled Body on the Backlot, and his is The Oath. We're here to talk to each other about our books and hopefully to talk to the outside people listening. Ava, is this, uh, have you written books, other books? No. This is your first one. This is my debut novel, and I did uh, do extensive research. I hung out with a, an elite group of homicide investigators in Los Angeles, and in fact, um, that year, Joe Lombreras was uh, given the honor of being Detective of the Year, so I was working very closely with him and Michael Di Pasquale, and I would go to crime scenes, and I uh, did do some of the, uh, you know, very boring work going through paperwork and telephone lists and things like that, trying to find things, so that was very um, helpful to really understand how a murder book is put together. And I also toured the um, L.A. County morgue. Well, that's interesting. Yes, and I also uh, hung out at strip clubs and other various anonymous clubs and things like that, which are also featured in my book. It's, it's certainly, I'm an old L.A. guy, and uh, you took me on a tour of the L.A. area, you know, going all the way from Venice Beach where I spent some time, to Camarillo, where I didn't spend time, but I had a relative there. Okay. So uh, it's uh, it was interesting from that point of view just to to visit with you. I, I could vision Koreatown, you know. I could I could vision these things. I could vision the well, the the homes along the beach. So that was very good for me. Very interesting, and uh, I was impressed by how you got into everything, how you, the details that you had, the details of uh, people relating to each other, uh, the details of the investigations. Um, uh, and, and not many of us can't get there. We, we can't pal around with detectives and come up uh, and uh, talk about very complex cases, which yours are. It isn't a very simple read in that respect. You have to, you know, follow follow the uh, arrows and. No, it was very uh, interesting. I was very privileged to have that opportunity, and uh, um, I think that they did me a great service, in that they were very honest with me. And there was a point that uh, Joe Lombreras made uh, early in our friendship, where he said every single case has a story. You know, it looks like, oh, we're following clues, we're doing this forensic work, we're, you know, matching DNA, we're doing all these things. And yes, they, they do do exactly that. He said, but the thing that really reveals the case is the story of that person's life. And so essentially, it is the character in the investigation. You really need to, like immerse yourself in that person's life in order to solve the case. And so that's what I try to do when I'm writing. I, I immerse myself in these characters and uh, some of them are admirable and some of them not so much. And I don't know, I think maybe the ones that are not admirable sometimes are, are more interesting, but uh, it's always fun to, to have a, 
a character that you know you're kind of on their side. And and it's interesting because I think all of us when we write, we put ourselves into a book in some form. And I'm quite sure that you you are Joan Lambert, and that you're the, the detective, you know, that's going through all of these issues and problems and battles and almost getting killed and all the things that happened to her. So you, I, I think, at least from my impression, I put you in. Well, so. I think it would be very difficult to separate an author from um, many of its characters because even if it's not the admirable ones, you're looking at the shadows of humanity and, you know, we all have those those things inside us, we are uh, the culmination of our choices. And uh, that sort of brings us uh, to your book, which I think that your characters had a very, very uh, difficult time making choices. Of course, you know, every human being wants to survive. And um, that is a very difficult uh, question in your book throughout is, you know, what am I willing to do to survive. And I would like to ask you, um, what motivated you? You know, because writing a book is not an easy thing to do. It requires many hours of concentration and diligence and discipline. So what motivated you to tell this story? Well, that's that's in practice as an orthopedic surgeon. In I had been appointed to the Board of Medical examiners. It was our job to discipline physicians. We had a doctor come before. He had two patients die in a short period of time. Mm. And he uh, he was up. He had that white, white hair. He had that German-British accent. Mm. And he stood there in the room and as we were interviewing him. So as I was taking his file and opening up, he had a big swastika stand. That was shocking enough. Actually, you know, being Jewish, it was shocking enough to see that. But the other thing that was probably more interesting, the state of medical school was May 5th, 1945, which was three days before the surrender was signed. And he was graduating from a city that had been repeatedly bombed during the war, Kiel, Germany. And it was a U-boat repair base. So I said, this man could not have graduated on that date. He might be one of these phony Nazi doctors. So I tried to get a reporter who came to our meetings, Brad Patton, he was with the Arizona Republic. I said, Brad, there's a story here. You ought to go after it. I said, I don't have time. He said, well, back the next day. And he said, uh, I can't do it. My editors say that's how we get sued. What? You know, so here, yeah, that's how they get sued. So I, I'm, I'm sitting here with this interest and I don't have the time or energy. I, I can't translate German to things that are necessary to research it. So I said, well, I'll just create a story. And that's how it started. And that was a long time ago. That was many, that was over 30 some odd years ago. Mm. And I, uh, I I started writing a little bit. I was uh, the first few years, right here, a chapter there. Uh, talk. I was talking to a, a lawyer on an airplane from Phoenix to LA and uh, I'm telling him about this book I want to write. And he says, you know, I have a client you are He's a German doctor. Turned out it was the same man who had come before us. What? So I was I was uh, able to interview him on two occasions. And um, 
interestingly enough, I think he probably knew who I was, although he didn't admit it when we took, when we met. But about, oh, I'd say about six years ago, that same lawyer called me back and asked if, if I'd written that book yet. I think they might have been looking to go after somebody anyway. The man is still alive. I've not sent him a book, or nor have I sent the lawyer a book. But <laughs> that's how it started. So I, that's how, it, you know, things came to be. Well, I'm so glad I asked that question. I think that's very fascinating. And I really love your uh, courage that, you know, even now in the face of a lawsuit, you, you're, it's like, I dare you. You know, I mean, I really like that you uh, told your story or told this particular story um, the way you did. And uh, I think your, your, uh, your depiction was extremely uh, sensitive and uh, it, it revealed a lot of things to me that I did not know. Well, that's, you know, it was, we, we've, we went and traveled Europe several times, and I visited most every place that I mentioned in the book so that I can describe the windows, I can describe the walls, I can describe the streets, things that I think make a difference. And uh, I transitioned from the period of time in which you had to go to the library to find this out mm-hmm. to, to the Internet, which was very, very exciting and much easier to do. So uh, I, you know, the process was very enjoyable to me. The history was fantastic. You know, I, I was uh, trying to describe repairing roads in Germany. One of my characters is moving across Germany. And I'm talking about uh, concentration camp inmates filling the holes in the street with sand because oil, they had, did not have enough oil in Germany at the end of the war especially and i'm saying to myself well did they use tar back then? you know i don't so i, I the internet i uh, road repair germany 1939 sure enough there's a picture of a road in east with all these black tar spots throughout it and those things are exciting you know you make a decision because you really want to be and then you find out that you are correct so writing it i the characters that i created in the book, most of the characters were based on other people. Um, my character, Al, the physician in France who believes he will save the life of his family by working with the Nazis on experiments at Auschwitz, is really based, there was a Hungarian physician who was well-treated by Mengele, and he was famous, and, and his family survived, and he did very well at Auschwitz. Uh, and he wrote a book, uh, which uh, was interesting, but most of that were based on real happenings and real characters, and I tried to time some of the events of the war with my characters as they moved uh, through Europe. To me, it was, uh, it was a great thing to do for looking at history, and uh, you know, and, and you start to deal with the guilt of survival, and we try to deal with that in the book as well. So, anyway, it was... Uh, tremendous experience and I've got a second book coming on that uh, that takes one of the characters out of the book uh, a couple of characters actually uh, talks about the uh, other concentration camps that were in in Croatia they had horrible camps they killed many Serbians probably more Serbians than anybody else more Serbians than Jews or gypsies 
dated back to the fight between the Catholic religion and the Serbian Orthodox religion. So I'm finding out a lot of information, and as you go through it, it's the process is fantastic. I truly enjoy it. Yes, I find this uh, issue of guilt of survival an, an interesting issue, and I do have a character who has that as well in my story. One of the characters that I, I would love to hear you speak about is uh, Tamara. Is that how you say her name? Tamara. Tamara. Tamara was a 14 or 15-year-old uh, gal from Czechia that was sent initially to Terezin, which was a, a mild concentration camp, I guess one would say, in Czechoslovakia. And then she and her family were sent on to Auschwitz. And she was sent to be gas-killed. And she survived the gas. And historically, there have been a couple of people that had survived, although they weren't allowed to survive for any length of time. usually were taken out and killed. But Tamara became the conscience of the book the conscience to Michelle, and she's the one that has that helps him deal with shelter survival uh, and um, revenge. And what's how powerful is revenge, and should we have is revenge justice? So she's the book. Sometimes is taken from her eyes, Tamara. Yes, which I thought was very clever because, of course, we uh, we have a great amount of empathy and sympathy for her and without giving away any details of your uh, your book you know it's very easy to be on her side whereas sometimes we might feel a little judgmental towards cats you know that you know that maybe he closed his eyes one time too many or you know something like that whereas we we don't have that problem with that particular character um, the young girl so, you know, at, that was very clever of you to be able to walk that thin line between, you know, uh, participating and uh, trying to survive the Nazis um, and then young innocence, a perfect innocent woman uh, who had survived and then was hiding. That's right. That's right. She, when she was hiding up in the attic, she would look down on the attic through some of the holes surrounding the lights to be able to observe the experiments that were being done. Uh, and uh, that's, again, as she became the eyes of the book. Uh, another interesting thing, in my research as I was going through it, the experiments that uh, was happening in Auschwitz that my characters, Michelle, was involved with was uh, taking people and putting them in in cold water to see their response, to see how, and it was basically designed to try to find a way to, for the Nazis to keep their aviators alive when they bailed out into the uh, Baltic Sea. Well, as it turned out, while doing the research, I found out that close to where I live, within 40 miles, there was an experiment versus Cincinnati. had a experiment in which they took mentally slow to retarded people, put them in ice boxes to see if they could prove their mentation. And it wasn't as if these people were chosen or agreed because they were readily retarded. And we did things like that in this country. In fact, the German doctors that came over from Germany after the war with the Operation Paperclip, this is where we, scientists like von Braun and some doctors, 
uh, had done experiments also at Dachau on uh, putting people in cold water. And it wasn't found out until he had died that he was involved in that, and an award had been uh, made after him, an award for physician, physicians in, in space medicine, and they had to get rid of the award because they found out that he had been involved in these horrific experiments. So it's all very interesting, and it's all very sad. Um, so you and, use this word icebox. That's an old word. And that old word, that's what they did. That's an old word, icebox. Yeah. Uh, that's a well, word that I'm a, in, in the backwoods of Missouri used. That's Most true. A refrigerator. <laughs> well, I think I remember the days we put ice in uh, iceboxes. Yes. A little and older than you are. Those are, those are certainly the origins. But um, my character, Joan, uses those words, too, those older words. Um, yeah. But she's from the Ozarks of Missouri, and so they still say words like icebox and medicine chest and things like that. So anyway, I, I have some other questions about your book. At the end of the book, yes, the last chapter actually, she's talking to the, the uh, psychic, and the psychic, one of the last things she says to her, Joan, is, are you going to finish the paintings? Yes. And the paintings were the ones that were sent from, that her mother never finished. Correct. And I, I thought that was a nice sensitive, sensitive part of the book that, uh, that was interesting. And there were little hints throughout the book about her interest in painting. She didn't yes. want any, any comment on that? Well, yes. Um, um, besides being a crime fiction author, I'm also, I'm an award-winning painter. And I do paintings, and I have a couple of paintings right now in the Memorial Hospital up in Ventura and in cafes in Santa Monica. And I've shown at Bergamont Station and BG Gallery on Ocean Park Avenue. And, you know, probably the most reputable gallery I was ever in was called the Daggio, and they feature a lot of Latin American and Native American artists. And I claim both that those two heritages. I I have many heritages, apparently, <laughs> but I can claim being both Latin and Native American. And uh, it has influenced me. Your ancestry, have you looked at your ancestry? Oh, yes. I did the whole DNA thing. I'm basically everybody. I, I have everybody. to go along with everyone. I do have uh, Sephardic Jewish blood. I do have uh, French, Spanish, English, a little dot of... Uh, Irish and Scottish. I have uh, some African, a lot of Native American. In fact, the Native American uh, blood is sort of famous. Emily Adams, who married into an English family. So, you know, I have a lot of uh, Native American. And you know that little uh, tattoo that Pocahontas has on the, the Disney <laughs> cartoon? That, that's actually a tattoo from my people. It wasn't, oh, really? It wasn't really Pocahontas's thing, <laughs> but it is a nice uh, symbol. So, but um, yeah, and Joan is Native American and English. I didn't claim all of my own personal heritage and put it onto that character. I thought English and Native American was plenty, and uh, she basically, uh, even though she has a, a grandmother who's still practicing Native American 
rituals and chants. Uh, she uh, doesn't really let on so much about her Native American heritage. I mean, it's not like something she would ever deny, but uh, it hasn't been advantageous for her family to claim that heritage. And even though she's not close to her father, she does bear her father's name. And, you know, so she has, she has conflict, you know, about the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. She's very intuitive. And uh, she is very interested in her mother's art and is very interested in perhaps seeing those pieces because her mother told her the plans for the pieces. That's right. Well, that was interesting. It's an interesting, it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, like putting a little frosting around the edges of the cake. It adds, or, or some spice on the, on the, on the food, adds a little flavor that isn't directly involved with the specific story that you're telling, it, mm -hmm. but it's, it, it adds interest, I believe. Well, it does make her sensitive to the ideas of art, and then there is a, a little clue in regard to a Haitian uh, art painting that uh, kind of gets her recognizing a similar pattern she saw somewhere else. And uh, yeah. I think the fact that she's very sort of a nose to the grindstone, hardworking, and and all that, but really deep down in there is a, a a very great tenderness and sensitivity and anguish and pain that drives her. You know, uh, I, I I did a clinic in ha in Haiti last year. You did. A local Catholic church here is very involved in a village way off in the woods where people have no electricity, the water is poor, schools are, are, are almost existent. Um, but it was a very interesting thing. And the Haitian people were absolutely beautiful. The children were absolutely beautiful. But they lived so poorly. Now, I, I think your character was probably down in Port-au-Prince in, in a where the hospitals and the main city is, which is also, you know, not a one place to live either so but interesting well i think uh one of the themes in my book it does have to do with the exploitation of people um groups of people young people children um other people who are vulnerable being exploited and uh we, we have been seeing a lot of that happening um Red Carpet Noir is the series that I'm working on, and we have been seeing some of that resonating in the Hollywood scene with the the very famous actor drugging all those young girls and uh, women. Yeah. And also recently, to my horror, this uh, cult with the famous actress, you know, recruiting women that she thought would make good victims into forced yeah. labor, sex trafficking, and other sorted behavior. And now it's recently come out that it was financed by a, a woman who was a Seagram's heir. And then it also wow. came out that it was uh, the actress's initials that were being branded on these poor, innocent <laughs> people. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I, if I had made that up, People would have said that that's just implausible, Ava. 
and you know you see that it is not implausible at all you know just by reading the paper so. well it was uh, it, it, the world is stranger than I think we could ever write yeah. you know there's, there's more strangeness than we could ever put together you know and, and the purpose of writing the red carpet noir the, the series that I'm working on is uh, the fact that Hollywood or the media or uh, persons who gain a lot of attention well their their issues or behaviors or the things that come up are very much in the spotlight. So what happens then is that's very much in all of our, our minds and awareness. And so it's very important how those things play out. It's very important how things play out with the president and his behavior. It's very important when famous people are held accountable or not held accountable for their crimes because that is part of our community now because we are so digital and we are so into our <laughs> televisions and our iPhones and our, you know, social media, you know. So it's it's sort of like the, the series created itself, you know, it wasn't my mad genius who came up with it. I'm just an observer and a witness like everybody else. Somebody had written a book about uh, the present day politics and in the White House, nobody would have ever thought of the book the way it has turned out. Oh, so. no. And if they did, people would say, oh, come on, who's going to believe that? <laughs> That's exactly. So, you know, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. So we, you know, we, we, we try to find the truth through fiction. And maybe, I, I don't know. But uh, one of the, the feedbacks I've had on my book was that people have learned history that they had not existed and that's why i like historical fiction well i agree with that i i I really had that experience while reading your book that you know i felt so much more informed and it was very personal you know uh and i think that's important that it's not a remote uh reality that it's a personal reality that certainly was very personal for each person involved and and that you got to remember and we should remember that we shouldn't, you know, like we should know what's got, what went on in the world. It should be out there for everybody to see, for understand, so we don't ever repeat those issues. The concept of uh, children separated from their parents, and it was in the lines as people got off trains at Auschwitz, and there were two lines made. There was one line where people could work, and there was one line where people and in that line that died were the children and the old old women, old men who couldn't work. And the separation of that, when that's brought into today's politics of separating kids, you know, you feel it. You feel it. So It is the beginning of the, the horror, I think, in the story, when the children are taken away from their parents. And perhaps it is, yes. you know, it's a... a the beginning of a very terrible horror in our American history that hopefully we can avoid, hopefully we can address and change the direction, right? That's the... Yeah, we hope so. Oh. We hope so. Yeah. Well, I... All right, well, listen, it's been nice talking to everybody. And this has been Ava Monte Alegre with her book, 
Body on the Back Lot, and... And Stephen Robert Stein. The book is called The Oath, The Story of Two Physicians at Auschwitz. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you, Stephen.